0: Good morning, fellowship. My name is Tiara. I'm one of the pastors here. If I have not yet met you, and it is my joy to welcome you uh, to worship to this morning, friends. Whether you're groggy because you um, watched the game last night or something, or something, or maybe ecstatic to get to see one more sunrise when the doctors told you that there wasn't a guarantee. Or perhaps burdened by brokenness in your workplace or your community or your home or even your soul, or maybe still in your pajamas if you're watching with us from home, or perhaps just starting your faith journey back to God, or perhaps a well worn traveler who hasn't missed a service since the blizzard of '86. Wherever you are in life, wherever you are on your faith journey, welcome. As we begin worship this morning, we come to the words of the psalmist who directs our eyes to the God who is worthy of our worship. The psalmist reminds us of the God whose goodness and power and holiness and sheer grandeur awes our very souls, but also whose steadfast love reaches out to touch the very souls that he himself fashioned with his own hands. In both the darkest of nights and the brightest of days, God's steadfast love the psalmist reminds us, endures forever. So this morning, the writer of Psalm 100 invites us to be taken in and rejuvenated by God's steadfast love toward us. So let these words from the psalmist awe and touch your souls. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, the psalmist says. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing and know that the Lord, he is God. And it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all and every generation. Would you stand and sing with us?
1: Will you pray with me? Almighty God, today we gather in this space with hearts wide open, drawn by the irresistible pull of your unfathomable love. We stand in awe of the divine dance that we are all a part of, where your grace and beauty intertwine with our lives, creating a tapestry of grace, love, and wonder. Yet in the midst of this beautiful tapestry, we pause to acknowledge our humanity, our flaws, and our imperfections, we confess that we often fall short of the abundant life you offer us. We seek your embrace knowing that your grace flows like an ever-flowing river, washing away our mistakes and renewing our spirits. In this moment of contemplation, we lament the struggles that so many in our midst are facing We grieve for those who battle illness, addiction, loneliness, and despair. We sit with their pain and suffering, knowing that you, O Lord, are alongside of them through their struggles. Give them a sense of your presence today. We also lift up those who provide care and support, those who stand alongside the hurting. Bless them with compassion, empathy, and resilience as they embody your love in tangible ways and help them to find space to care for themselves God, we understand that we cannot handle all of our struggles alone, and we thank you for those caring friends and relatives who continue to be there for us through our struggles. We are grateful that ultimately you are the ever-present greatest support of all. In our humble petition, we ask for your divine intervention in the lives of those who are in need. Pour out your healing presence upon them. Illuminate the paths with the light of hope. Empower them to find strength within themselves, for you have created each of us with untapped reservoirs of resilience through your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Trinity, for the gift of community, where we can share our burdens and uplift one another. We trust in your guiding wisdom, which leads us through the twists and turns of life's journey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit Christ has reconciled us to God and we meet and we share within that peace. So this morning I say to you, may the peace of Christ be with you. Please take a moment and share a sign of that peace as you are comfortable with those around you.
0: It's not a competition, but the service wins for the most lively passing of the piece. (laughs) Um, So this morning, we get the joy of celebrating a baptism. Um, In Matthew 28, as Jesus gathers his disciples together for the last time before he departs, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I, your Lord Jesus, am with you always until the end of the age. In Christian churches everywhere, baptism is recognized as a sacrament, a holy mystery, a visible sign of God's invisible grace a sacred union of normal, visible things like water. should have had it in a bowl. <laughs> um, and spiritual things like the unbreakable, covenantal belonging to God and to God's people. In baptism, God promises to forgive the sin that alienates us from him and from one another. God promises to unite us to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. God promises to adopt us as his sons and daughters into the family of God, the church. God promises to send the Holy Spirit upon us daily within us to sustain us and sanctify us. And God promises to raise us up to everlasting life with him and with his people. Water cleanses us and purifies us and refreshes us and sustains us. Jesus Christ is the living water.
2: Morning, fellowship family. On behalf of the baptism elders and consistory, I am am, and with great joy, I present to you the Box family, (laughs) Duncan and Michelle, who are bringing forth their son, uh, Nolan William, for the sacrament of baptism. Thanks, Jane.
0: Um, So this morning, um, this family uh, will kind of respond to the promise of God to save little Nolan William uh, by making their own promises. And eventually we'll invite you to make some promises as well. Uh, we'll do that in the form of some questions, uh, which will be up on the screen, and even though your answer to those questions is written on your hearts, the words will be up there too, just in case you forgot. Uh, <laughs> so first, do you acknowledge today the love of God, a love that has gone before us, continually surrounds us, and cannot be taken from us? If you do, say, we do. Yeah. Yeah. And do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? If you do, say, I renounce them. And who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Great answer. Uh, (laughs) And do you promise in your hearts and in your home to celebrate the truth of God's word, to seek salvation through Jesus Christ, to pray for your family, and to teach little Nolan to pray? And do you promise to lift high the way of Jesus, not only in your words, but also in your deeds, which he is most likely to see? Through worship and in the nurture of the church. If you do, say, I do, and I ask God to help me.
3: I do, and I ask God to help me.
0: <laughs> Congregation, um, we want to acknowledge not only God's promise to Nolan and to this family, and not only their promise to God and to um, Nolan, but also your promise to this family and the sacrament of baptism. So if you could stand with me and join me in the words on the screen. As a covenant community called Fellowship Church, we promise to love, encourage, and support this family by teaching the gospel of God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. Would you pray with me? We thank you, O God, for the gift of baptism and the symbol of water by which you offer to us the promise of salvation, that we are buried with Jesus Christ in his death and raised up with him in his resurrection and given the help of the Holy Spirit in all of life's journey. And this is true whether we are infants or adults. So now, holy and gracious God, we pray on behalf of Nolan William, who will be baptized today, that you would wash him clean and enable him to receive new life. To you, O God, be all the glory, honor, and praise forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated.
4: Let's see if little Nolan William will come to me and be happy about it. (laughs) Come on, big guy. Your name, little Nolan, you don't even know it yet, but in the Hebrew means God's champion, which is pretty wonderful. And before that, of course, God is champion on your behalf we recognize Nolan Williams. Can you see this guy? He's cute to the highest heaven. (laughs) Holy moly. (laughs) That the Savior of the world knows your name. It was for you that Jesus Christ came into this world. It was for you that he lived, for you that he died, for you that he rose from the dead, and he did all of these things for you, Nolan Williams, even though you know nothing of it just yet, so that it is true that we love because God loved us first. The verse that the parents, uh, Duncan and Michelle, have selected to pray over Nolan and us as well is Ephesians chapter two, verse ten, which says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do, and that is our hope and plan and prayer for you, dear. <laughs> Look at <that. laughs> Let's baptize him. What do you say, dearest Nolan Williams? I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the family, Nolan William. (laughs) Friends, I have the great joy of introducing you to and celebrating the fact that little Nolan William has been welcomed into the kingdom of God's faithful, the church called Fellowship Church. He is our newest member. So welcome to the family. Would you... Welcome him with applause. (laughs) And he did great. (laughs) We'll give him back to you. Very good. And you guys can return to your seats.
2: Friends, I invite you to stand once more and let's sing together Uh, from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, I am not my own. As we belong to the Lord, loving because he first loved us. We also have belonging with each other in community. My name is Jess Mix, and I'm the minister of worship here at Fellowship. And as we continue in worship, I invite you this morning to say our mission statement with me. The words will be on the screen, but you guys have not memorized. So if you close your eyes, I'll be really impressed. <laughs> Let's say it together. Our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ, focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Each week we say our mission statement together to remind ourselves of who we are, to remember the core values of our identity. In fact, our whole worship service is designed to reorient ourselves to who God is and who we are as God's children and to root ourselves firmly in the story of God and God's people. I'm a reader, so, I was reading a book about habits this week. By the way, I am not a runner, so I did not go on any runs this week. And in this book about habits, I was reminded that the patterns of behavior that we have, our habits, our actions, they come out of who we believe we are. I'm a reader, I am not a runner. Our behavior is rooted in our identity and who we believe we are. Who we are leads to what we do. Because I'm a reader, I read regularly. Because I don't think of myself as a runner. I didn't go on any runs this week. So, what does a fellowship that loves God and others do? What would an accepting community centered in Christ do? What might people focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus do together? Well, I'm so glad you asked. And I'm going to show you a bulletin because we have a whole bunch of things in here that we are currently doing together. Um, And I'm going to make this a little interactive. You already did great on the mission statement. So every time I hold this up, I just want you to say, check your bulletin. So, okay. All right. We're going to do this together then. Um, so I'm going to highlight and celebrate with you just a few of the ways that we're living into and out of our identity. We're an accepting community. So we have these connection cards. It's an easy way of getting and staying in touch with us. Um, if you're a regular attender and re-engaging, or if you're new, if you'd like to do that, I encourage you to fill one of these out and you can place it in one of the giving bowls in the back. We are givers made in the image of a radically generous God. And so We give. There are many ways to join in giving financially to the work God is doing here at Fellowship and beyond our walls. There are giving bowls at the back of the sanctuary, and you can give online. There is a QR code. Check your bulletin. Check your bulletin. (laughs) Um, You could also drop off your gift at the front office or mail it in, and if you need any help with that, you can see any one of us ministry leaders and pastors. We are developing faithful followers of Jesus, and this is remarkably tough in the age of technology, especially as we shape and guide our students and children. So on Wednesday, October 4, our community night's adult and student formation will be focused that night on just the topic of technology and creating a tech-ready home. It's called Protect Young Eyes, and we'll have separate sessions for youth and adults. Also, the high school students um, with Bryce are going to be engaging in a session on Sunday, October 8th. So for more details, you got it. Also, right before and during the community night's dinner on that same evening, October 4, we're hosting a flu shot clinic as a way of loving others. And you can sign up for that. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You have to sign up with CVS. So anyway, you'll definitely want to check on that one. Uh, Lastly, next Sunday, we have a ton of things going on. Um, As an accepting community that's centered in Christ, we're going to join with a global church in celebrating World Communion Sunday. We're going to share in communion at this table in our worship services, and then we're going to gather at the lunch table um, eating globally-themed foods at 11.45 a.m., so right after this service. It's also Parish Sunday, so you'll get to engage with your specific parish elder and deacon and those who are in your parish by sitting together for lunch. There's more info there. (laughs) High school confirmation classes, Bryce, they're going to begin next week. You're busy, aren't you? Yeah. And? more details on that. We are a people that have been blessed to be a blessing. And so we bless one another. This morning, in this next song, we're going to specifically bless our students and children ages three years through eighth grade. They're going to go off in just a moment to continue worshiping and learning in their age groups, and we're going to prepare to hear God's word preached. And so this is really a blessing for all of us, but you are welcome if you'd like to extend a hand uh, toward a student um, or a child, and let's sing together. And then when we're finished singing, children three years through eighth grade can head off to Sunday school after the song.
3: is me Make-
4: Thank you, band, and blessings to you, goodwill to you, God's riches to you, my friends, truly. Hey, we are in a sermon series or a worship series this summer called Casting Shadows, and we're, I think, in week three of it so far. In this series, we are looking at some of the biblical greats that have gone before us ones like Adam and Eve, Abram and Sarah, and today, Jacob and Esau and more too. And we are finding that these are folks who actually did cast long shadows. They did great and terrible things. And we're finding also as we study their stories that we are quite a bit like them. And the more we study their stories, the more we find our own stories and our life with God as well. Before we dive into the text for the day... Uh, I wanna take a moment and help us get our bearings. Uh, We are in the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. It's a book itself, which has 50 chapters, but it's also a story of five major storylines or five generations, each one of them represented by at least a noticeable name. In the book of Genesis, we first encounter uh, Adam and his generations, the first 11 chapters. After that is the story of Abraham, then Isaac, the shortest of all these story blocks, after that is Jacob, and the last is Joseph, which actually ends up being the longest of all these story blocks. Today, however, we are in the story of Jacob, and Jacob's story is uh, long and rich as well, so let me give you a little bit more before we dive into the specifics of today's particular text Jacob's birth story is told in Genesis chapter 25. And from the very beginning, he comes out of the womb as a twin, the second of these two twins, and he's holding on to his older brother Esau's uh, heel. And so he's named Jacob, and that name literally means heel grabber. It also, (laughs) creative name, right? Heel grabber. It also means deceiver or cheat or supplanter. Sorry, Jacob. We're, I know we have at least one Jacob in the house today, so it gets redemptive at the end. Uh, but that's his name, and, and he lives into it, actually. In the next few chapters, he does exactly what his name says. He lies and cheats and steals his older brother's blessing and birthright. He wears out his welcome at home and ends up on the run because Esau ends up hating him so much, he plans to kill him. So he runs way up north, and up north he finds his uncle Laban. And in that place, he lives for about 20 years and continues to do what he does. He's a heel grabber, a deceiver, a supplanter, and he wears out his welcome up there also by cheating, and he ends up on the run again. Then he's on the run back down south towards his own brother. And uh, there's going to be a great little uh, detail story, which we'll read in a minute uh, before he encounters his brother. And then the last chapters of Jacob's life are where he finally begins to become a little bit less of a scoundrel. (laughs) You'll notice, as the way I've just even surveyed the story of Jacob, that uh, almost three quarters of his whole life, he's a morally suspect character at best. He's a heel grabber a cheat, a deceiver, a supplanter. That changes, however, in one fateful all-night struggle. It is what happens to be probably the Bible's most famous wrestling match. And I want to read that story to you today. It comes to us from the book that we love, the story of God and God's people. We find it in Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 22, where it says this, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions too. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. Then the man said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name but the other replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed through Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Step back with me, if you will, to the year 1994. 1994, at the time, I'm a middle schooler at Millbrook Christian Middle School in Grand Rapids, Michigan, okay? And I just joined the wrestling team. I'm gonna be wrestling at the almost gladiator-like weight class of 80 pounds. (laughs) Me and the other skeletons. (laughs) It's where we play for keeps. If you are with me there in that sweaty gymnasium in 1994 when I'm in the seventh grade, I wonder if the first thing you might notice if you're there that day is the uniforms, if you can call them that. The uniforms that we wear for wrestling, they're called singlets, and they feel like one. <laughs> if as a middle school boy, your voice is not already cracking, it is now. <laughs> Perhaps the only thing that's worse than those singlets that you have to wear for wrestling is the headgear. I mean, just a monstrosity and it's uncomfortable. I don't know what is worse, the way it looks or the way it feels. But it was then in 1994 in that gymnasium as a seventh grader that I learned an important life lesson. Wrestling is almost always a risky endeavor. When you wrestle, you head out there all alone uncomfortably exposed and the whole world is watching, or at least that's the way it feels in the moment. And when you wrestle, you begin to realize that the wrestling match is almost never only about the opponent who is right in front of you. It is almost always also wrestling with your very own self and also wrestling with God Almighty and also, of course, wrestling with the person who stands right in front of you. Maybe it's true that we all becomes re- become wrestlers in middle school. If we don't wrestle physically, maybe we wrestle spiritually or emotionally, psychologically, relationally. We wrestle, and it's risky, which has me wondering about what might be your wrestling match right now or of late. In the Bible, Jacob is the example par excellence of what it means to be a wrestler. It was an all-night struggle for him, and maybe you can relate. I have three questions I'd love to wonder about with you this morning. They've been on my mind all week. In Jacob's wrestling match and in yours, who's the opponent? What's the issue? And what's the point? We'll take them one at a time. First things first, let's play a little game called Finish the Sentence. You ready? Jacob wrestled with, who? I hear a bunch of different answers, are you sure? (laughs) Welcome to the multivocal world of biblical interpretation. The old Jewish sages would say that the text itself has 70 faces. And perhaps most appropriately in this story in particular, We, the readers, just like Jacob himself, are left in the dark about the true identity of who this nighttime wrestling opponent might be. So I wanna try on a few of the options, some faithful options with you this morning of who this shadowy opponent might've been that night. The first is that maybe Jacob was wrestling with God. That was the most common answer I heard as you filled in the blank. Maybe God had certain plans for Jacob and Jacob wasn't yet living into those plans You could call it identity or integrity or vocational struggles, maybe. Jacob's off the rails and God intervenes. The best support you might have for this particular theory was the first dead giveaway in most of our Bibles. It names the the whole section. It gives it a heading, Jacob wrestles with God. In the story, you just heard me read it. After the wrestling match is ending, Jacob summarizes it by saying, I have seen God face to face. So maybe he wrestled with God on that fateful night. Elsewhere in the Bible, we actually find that God seems to have a, uh, a favor, a special treatment towards those who are willing to persevere in wrestling with him. We know their names, Moses, Hannah, David, Job, Jesus, Doubting Thomas, I wonder if you can relate. Have you ever wrestled with God? Are you wrestling with God right now? Maybe you wish you had a different family or job or body or life. Maybe your faith feels like it's falling apart right now. Maybe you're running from God and hoping that God won't notice. Maybe you're wrestling with God today. Or maybe like Jacob, maybe you're actually wrestling with Esau, your arch rival enemy brother type. After all, that's been the story all along. He's been the opponent from the very start, from the very moment of birth. This is the one that they have been wrestling with. The whole story has been that. In in fact, on this very wrestling night, it is surrounded by plans to encounter his brother Esau, who's actually coming towards him with 400 men, almost suggesting they're expecting a war. And then they wrestle, this thing happens at night. And then the next day they encounter one another and it ends up being surprisingly peaceful. And Jacob summarizes that greeting with his brother Esau by saying, I've seen the face of God. Interesting. So maybe he's wrestling with Esau still again. In this night, it makes sense. He's the most perfect, even match. The other ones are not so even for the match to last all night. Elsewhere in the Bible, we know, in the book of Genesis in particular, sibling rivalries is a big deal. We'll get into this in just a bit, but there's at least five major sibling rivalries going on, and this is one of the key stories in it. So maybe Jacob is wrestling with his brother, Esau. And I wonder if your wrestling match could actually be accurately described as a kind of sibling rivalry too. Maybe you're wrestling with an arch rival of some type, a family member who's always a bugger, a colleague who you are always trying to outperform, someone who's hurt you recently. Who's your Esau? If Jacob's not wrestling with God and not wrestling with Esau, then maybe he's wrestling with an angel. That's another faithful option of an interpretation. After all, the scriptures tell us that no one can see God face to face and live. So maybe it was an angel representing God in that particular moment. The best support for this idea comes from scripture interpreting scripture. The minor prophet Hosea actually says it explicitly in chapter 12, verse four of his book. He says that Jacob wrestled with an angel. So maybe it was an angel in that particular moment. Elsewhere in the Bible, we find that angels are God's messengers and God sends them forth at the most important times, Christmas, Easter. Those are the times where we encounter these angels and maybe even in our most difficult wrestling matches too. Angels announce, bring forth the way of God when we are maybe least expecting it, even if humans think we know better or are resistant to it which might also be part of Jacob's story, of course. Remember, maybe he knows all too well that his crooked ways have been working and he doesn't really want to change them. And so he fights all night about it. Maybe he's not wrestling with God or with Esau or with an angel. Maybe Jacob is actually wrestling with his own self. After all, the text tells us before the wrestling match begins, he was there all alone Maybe the man he's wrestling with is me, his own self. Jewish tradition and modern psychology have suggested that this might very well be a story of mimetic desire. Mimetic desire is the desire to mimic, the desire to not be myself, but to be someone else, which Jacob has been doing his whole life with Esau. And now maybe he's being forced to wrestle with his own inner longings. He might have to come to face with being his own self. It's a great line that I've liked for a while that says, just be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Jacob, (laughs) figure it out, kind of thing. In the scriptures, we say that it's possibly the psalmist who does this the most often and the best for us. The psalmist is often a shadow boxer. I, I particularly like Psalm 73 in that regard. The point I'm hoping to draw forth with you in considering all these faithful options of who the wrestling opponent might have been is that the ambiguity might be there on purpose. It might be left that way. We're left in the dark intentionally. Because the truth is, for Jacob and for us, whoever we're wrestling with, whoever it starts with, it eventually ends up involving all of the folks, anyways. Wrestling is not a solo sport. We wrestle with the opponent right in front of us. And at the same time, we wrestle with God and we wrestle with our own selves and we wrestle possibly with an angel too. It's complicated. Which brings us to the next big question. Whoever Jacob and you might be wrestling with right now, the next big question to ask is, what's the issue? What are they fighting about? My youngest son would be quick to say to me in this particular moment, he might say, it's personal, dad it's private. You don't get to know. Maybe that's true. In your wrestling match, we don't get to know. And probably it's fair to say that there's no one size fits all answer to this question of what's the issue. But I think there's at least two of them that are lead options for Jacob and maybe for us too this morning. The first is that maybe the issue is about growing up. And the second is that maybe the issue is about getting along. And maybe it's about both of them because they're related. The first answer is actually quite tweetable. You may recognize that if you're in a wrestling match like Jacob, it feels like crisis. It can take over all of us. And in moments of crisis, I think one of the things that God is most concerned about is who we are becoming. Who we are becoming. Of course, we all have a past and we're living in the present, but who are we becoming in the midst of this struggle that we are in? And that's the tweetable thing you've maybe seen this on social media before. The Chinese word for crisis is a word smash of two other words, the first being danger and the other being opportunity. Isn't that kind of nifty? The Hebrew does even one better. How wonderful. In the Hebrew, the word for crisis actually literally means childbirth chair. Childbirth chair. We have in our congregation that I know of, at least four babies in the hopper, not, not counting a little Nolan William, William who's already with us. We've got some that are in there. Childbirth is a significant image for us, and suggests, especially this word for crisis, suggests that it's in the agony. It's through the struggle that something new is born and brought forth. Remember, Jacob has been a scoundrel all along. Right, He's been a heel grabber, a deceiver, a cheat, a supplanter. And if he is going to be God's representative of God's purposes in the world, then something's got to change. And through this struggle, maybe he's being invited to grow up and become who he's supposed to be all along. Makes me wonder about your wrestling match too, and mine as well, and the consideration of whatever we're going through. Maybe one of the things God cares about the most is who we are becoming in the midst of it. The second probable answer to the question, what's the issue in this wrestling match, is about getting along. Again, we're back to sibling rivalry. Remember, there's five major sibling rivalry stories that are told in the book of Genesis, and a clear pattern is emerging. But first, we know the pattern of our world. We maybe know it all too well. When there's conflict between persons between nations, it very typically becomes a cycle of violence where hurt people hurt people without God's intervention. And even in God's beloved world, hurt happens. And then the hurt person goes on the hunt. They start to, first they hate, sorry, we get hurt. Then we hate the one who hurt us. Then we go on a hunt to find the one who hurt us. And then we harm them back. And the cycle repeats unless someone is willing to step off that cycle. That's what's known among families, among siblings, even in prank wars, even among the nations. Hurt, hate, hunt, harm. Unless it changes. And remember, Genesis is the book of new beginnings. And in this story, we're finding first the normal, and then an entirely new and developing different pattern. On the graph that you see up there, you'll notice the pattern begins where there is the smallest, almost non-offense that is uh, responded to with the greatest overkill response. And then it moves all the way to the other end where it ends up being a great big offense and a much better, more redeeming response. So you know the story of Cain and Abel, right? Abel does almost nothing wrong but Cain kills him for it anyways. Small offense, overkill response. Next story, maybe less known, is the story of Isaac and Ishmael, two stepbrothers. When they're little kids, the Bible tells us that there comes a moment where Ishmael laughs at Isaac. Small offense, little bigger than Abel's offense, but not that big of a deal, and yet Ishmael and his mother, Hagar, get banished for life. Still a big response. The next sibling rivalry pair is Rachel and Leah. Those are the wives of Jacob and they are continually jockeying, fighting for his attention and more. They're kind of stuck in a gridlock. After that comes Jacob and Esau. Now it begins to really turn. Now something really has done wrong. Jacob stole his brother's birthright and blessing. That's a bigger deal, a bigger offense. And they go their separate ways for 20 years, but eventually they do come back together. They reconcile and then they go their separate ways. That's better. The final story in Genesis is the story of Joseph and his brothers. The biggest offense thus far, they sell him into slavery and leave him for dead. But Joseph eventually finds his brothers. He forgives them and they live together happily ever after until they become slaves in Egypt. But it Is a good story. Extend those lines a step further and you'll find the story of Jesus, the one truly innocent person this world has ever known who came to save men and women, and yet they killed him for it. That's the worst offense to start it. Jesus rises from the dead. He conquers sin and death and he goes forth to offer forgiveness and reconciliation to the whole world, including even his own executioners. That's the worst offense and the best response yet. Extend those lines out a little further and you might find your story. Maybe you're the offender. Maybe you're the one that's been offended and now you're wrestling. Whoever the fight is with and whatever's been done, the question is now, what are you gonna do about it? The issue in this fight with Jacob, and maybe with us, is possibly about growing up and learning to get along. Which brings us to the last question of the day. What's the point? When Pastor Nate and I were at Camp Geneva with the kids, each time we'd end our little sessions with them by saying, one, two, three, and then they would shout back, who cares? So we're going to do that now. One, two, three. Who cares? Yeah, that was pretty good. Better than the first service. Sorry, <coughs> cameras. <laughs> I think there's uh, two tall shadows that are cast by this uh, story of, uh, of Jacob uh, wrestling at night. And the first is the tall shadow of a magnificent defeat. A magnificent defeat. That's actually uh, the title of a famous sermon preached by Frederick Buchner on this very text. He calls this moment in Jacob's life a magnificent defeat. Remember, Jacob all along has been a scoundrel. His whole life thus far has basically been lived backwards and upside down. But on this faith, fateful night, an all night wrestling match becomes a great reversal, a gracious intervention, a magnificent defeat. After this all-night wrestling match, Jacob, the heel grabber and the blessing snatcher, actually goes on to become a humble giver. The grabber becomes a giver. After this all-night wrestling match, Jacob, once alienated and hated by his brother Esau, he gets a hug from Esau. After this all-night wrestling match, Jacob, the radical individualist, goes forth to become Israel, the father of a nation. After this all-night wrestling match, Jacob finally loses his swagger. And instead, he goes forward with a godly limp. Did Jacob deserve this loving attention from God? Did he deserve God's grace? Did he deserve a, a second, third, tenth chance at life? Probably not. But God gave it anyways. And that's what's so wonderful about this magnificent defeat. Jacob fully and finally gives himself over. He loses himself and he finds in that very moment that he truly finds himself for the first time in his story. In your wrestling matches too, friends, I wonder if God is similarly offering a magnificent defeat. And if so, I invite you to take a page from Jacob's book and hold on, keep at it until you receive the blessing. Second tall shadow that I think is cast by this story today is that it's the story of a new legacy, a new legacy of wrestling and of persevering and of blessing in particular. Remember, this is the story in which Jacob gets a new name. Jacob becomes Israel. The new name is a new legacy for him. No longer will he be known, he and his descendants, as heel grabber, cheater, deceiver, supplanter. Instead, as Israel, he will be known as one who wrestles with God and with others and who prevails, who perseveres. Even more, he will go on to do the thing that grandpa Abraham, his own grandpa, uh, was called to do in the first place, to be blessed, to be a blessing. No longer will he hoard the blessings. He will look to pass those blessings forward. It's different. Jacob will go on to have 12 sons who become 12 tribes, who become the nation of Israel, which becomes the backbone to the Judeo-Christian tradition. And the new legacy is that they, we, are a people of wrestling and of perseverance and of blessing with Jesus as the most perfect example. It's Jacob's story, it's Israel's story, it's my story, it's your story, it's Jesus' story, and it all begins with this magnificent defeat. Maybe the singlet and the headgear are worth it after all. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite you to pray with me a prayer that we'll have up on the screen. We'll do it responsively. I call it the, wrestler, the prayer of the wrestler in the ring. It's actually a prayer by Ted Loder called Prime Me Off Dead Center. Ted Loder is a poet. Let's pray this together. I'll be the one, you be the all. Oh, persistent God, please. Deliver me from assuming your mercy is gentle. Pressure me that I may grow more human, not through the lessening of my struggles, but through an expansion of them that they will undam me and unbury my gifts. Deepen my hurt until I learn to share it and myself more openly. Sharpen my fears until I name them and release the power I have locked in them and they and me. Expose my shame where it shivers until I can laugh at last, laugh my way to becoming whole. O oh, persistent God, let how much it all matters pry me off dead center. So if I am moved inside to tears or sighs or screams or smiles or dreams, they will be real. And I will be in touch with who I am and who you are and who my brothers and sisters are too. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. if today you've called to mind something in particular that you're wrestling with that you'd like prayer for, I invite you to join me and some elders over underneath the cross immediately after the service. Otherwise, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.